This is the Canty and Carlin Podcast. John Morant has spoken following an eight-game suspension due to conduct detrimental to the league. He says he is, quote, not completely better after he spent more than a week receiving mental health and life counseling in Florida, but he is expected to return to the Grizzlies lineup on Wednesday. This is Canty and Carlin on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. No Canty, no Carlin. But you've got Courtney Cronin and Nick Ferdell with you on this Tuesday afternoon presented by Progressive Insurance. And with John Morant talking today, it wasn't a long press conference, but it came after practice this afternoon. They've got the Rockets tomorrow. We are expecting he will play in some capacity in that game. And the team has said as much as well. But I think there's a couple points here where Ja talked almost like at a 30,000-foot level. He didn't want to get too much into the specifics of what he went to Florida for and what the issues are at hand, but vowed to continue to improve. And that, you know, the biggest takeaway for me is that he said he isn't completely better. And when he... And talked about uh, talked about what was going on, you know, kind of briefly in an Instagram post after there was the video that surfaced on his Instagram live where he's wielding a gun in a Denver strip club. He talked about finding better ways to cope with stress. And you hope for the sake of him, he's found a way to do that. But this has only been two weeks since he's been suspended, Nick. And, you know, forgive me for being a skeptic to believe that there's probably a longer road to recovery than what's being put out there. Well, Courtney, that that's the human element of this entire story anybody who has dealt with whatever exactly Ja is dealing with it takes a lot longer than two weeks to make you think that you are on the right road to putting it in your past and by not addressing head on what it was that he went down to Florida for and in exactly what uh, that entailed I think he's allowing for uh, the the possibility that if something were to happen again, people are just going to be like, well, what were you doing the first time? Because it sounds like, and I'm coming at this from a journalistic standpoint, it sounds like a guy who is saying what he feels needs to be said in order to get back out on the floor and help his team. And it's understandable. He wants the Grizzlies to do as, as well as they possibly can. But for his future, his future with – Memphis, his future in the NBA, his potential future again as one of the leaders and new faces of the league, this is something that can't pop up again. It can't come to this point where he's making a mistake on Instagram Live or uh, the the issues that the Washington Post and the Athletic have reported on with Ja and his friends uh, doing a variety of different things and his problems with guns. I can't believe that in this moment – there wasn't a little more forthrightness at exactly what he is trying to accomplish, what he feels he messed up on, and what he feels, why he feels he is so much more equipped a couple weeks later to tackle what he's facing head on. He spoke in generalities. Mm -hmm. He tried to keep it very much on the surface level, speaking of making mistakes in the past that have caused a lot of negative attention, not only to him, but his family, and that he apologizes for that. The only thing he was specific on when asked point blank about why he went to Florida and whether it was for a treatment with alcohol, he had to say this about whether he has an alcohol problem. I don't have an alcohol problem, never had an alcohol problem. Uh, you know, I went there for counseling uh, to learn how 
with stress in you know a positive way um, instead of you know ways I've you know tried to deal with it before that you know caused me to make you know, mistakes. Now that's a question that was that had to be asked because this is a situation where there's a lot that's unknown and there are going to be people who say, well, leave him alone. This has nothing. It's none of your business what he went for counseling for. And I don't think people, frankly, you know, whatever it is, you hope that he gets better. But because of the situation when he's wielding a gun in that video in a Denver area nightclub when, you know, what has been reported is that he was in an allegedly intoxicated state. That's a valid question that has to be asked, because if that becomes a pattern, then you become more concerned about it happening again. And, you know, that was his answer to what was probably a very uncomfortable question for whichever reporter asked it. Well, Courtney, I think it's a really good point, as you mentioned, because if you're trying to keep everything above board and you're trying to not get specific on things, and then the one time you do get specific is to say, hey, I don't have an alcohol problem. People are going to wonder, well, what the hell were you doing in a strip club uh, at 4.35 in the morning holding up a gun for on Instagram Live? What what sober person is walking into a strip club at 5 in the morning being like, hey, check out my gun? That just does not seem like uh, something that a, 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 a mentally healthy person would do. And so uh, there is... A, there is going to be a large group of fans who say, you know what? Those are his issues to deal with. He deserves the privacy to fight them and deal with them on his own. All that I would say is that when you have the contract that that he's earned and you have the responsibility as the face of not only the team, but the potential phase down the line of a corporation and a league that is as big as the NBA is, there are certain things that you have to deal with that come with that type of notoriety. There's and a responsibility that comes with that. That's like, exactly it. It's to whom the much responsibility. is given, much is expected. And I know that there will be people who you know scoff at that notion of, he's 23 years old. Like, what were you doing at that age? And I wasn't about to make $195 million on my five-year rookie max extension. That did not apply to my life. And I can't imagine the sort of pressure that comes with being that person in your inner circle, maybe even being the person who has to support other people financially. And then you have all of these people in your circles, some of whom very clearly are not protecting you from yourself or protecting you from negative influences. But that's what the case is right now, that he is a public figure in a very high profile league, in a very high profile team right now. And those things are going to be asked. Now, some people don't like that. Some people who have also been at the center of the own, of the storms that they have created, Kyrie Irving, for example, spoke out about that, talking about how the public and the media it's our fault. We rushed to judgment, apparently, on John Morant. Take a listen. I believe any hardship in life builds character. And um, when you're dealing with particular hardships in the public eye, especially with the media being attracted to, um, you know, just keeping up with what we're doing or, or what's the next kind of grab or story, I don't want to assume anything by every media member, but that's just the way it seems for me and my perspective is just there was an overload of of judgment on Ja and, and there was an overload of judgment on what I had going on and there's usually an overload of, of judgment from the public. There's a whole lot of projecting, an overload of projecting that was going on with Kyrie Irving in that statement. And I keep bringing it back to if this was a private issue that he was dealing with in the moment, 
he wouldn't have put it on Instagram Live. You made it the public's problem when you did that, when you brandished a gun on Instagram Live in an allegedly intoxicated state. If he had a serious issue, if it was a mental health issue, even if it was a substance abuse issue, and he was dealing with it behind closed doors, that would be a completely fine comment from Kyrie Irving to say, you know, hands off, let him handle his business. Like, I... I, I relate this in a moment to Andrew Wiggins. We have absolutely no idea publicly what Andrew Wiggins is going through right now. And there's a reason for that. His teammates are insulating him. The team is insulating him. A team that's notorious for leaks, not letting anything get out with Andrew Wiggins, saying it's a private issue. He's handling it on his own, out of sight, out of mind, while he deals with that. John Morant's issues are playing out in the public, and that's the issue that I have with it, where Kyrie Irving comes out and condemns the public, the media, for quote-unquote, more or less, jumping to conclusions on this whole thing. There's no conclusions other than what we saw right there, that a 23-year-old was brandishing a gun in a nightclub at nearly 5 o'clock in the morning following a loss when a whole litany of other things came out that same week highlighting, hey, Maybe there's an issue with the way that you're behaving publicly and behind closed doors that needs to be addressed. Courtney, pro athletes, especially when they have the platforms that Kyrie Irving and John Morant do in this case, can't have it both ways. You can't accept how much sway and popularity and uh, how many people are following your every move on Twitter and Instagram and any different social media? And then when you either put yourself on Instagram Live, as Ja did, or you tweet out uh, links to an anti-Semitic uh, film and, and expect not to get questions about it. That's where, having lived through the, the saga of Kyrie and now watching this Ja Morant thing play out from a distance— I'm just sitting back just shaking my head. If you put yourself out there on Instagram Live at a strip club at 5 in the morning and you show a gun, of course people are going to be like, hey, uh, do you have a problem? Uh, What are the issues here? If you're Kyrie Irving and you've got 35 million some odd social media followers between Instagram and Twitter and you're posting a link to a film filled with anti-Semitic tropes, of course people are going to be like, hey, uh, Do you feel a certain way? Is this what you really believe? And when you don't answer the question specifically, as Kyrie didn't in the beginning, and as Ja, aside from the alcohol question today, didn't seem to in his press conference, more questions build up from that point. And as far as Moran is concerned, because he wasn't very clear, aside from the alcohol part, Exactly what's gone on, what I would tell him, I would tell the Grizzlies, and I know the league is coming, everything builds up from that point. The lack of transparency only hurts the player involved in the long term. And unless he can go out of his way and not only uh, stay away from these type of incidents but continue to win on the floor – These problems aren't going anywhere. Unfortunately, that's the only way for the questions to go away. If they continue Mm -hmm. to win, if they can somehow become, you know, hold on to the top seed in one of the top seeds in the Western Conference and win games and then continue to win games. That's the only way this quote unquote gets buried. 
But what we do know is it's not going to be the last time John Morant is asked about this. What he said today was his first time talking publicly since he was suspended for eight games. He's expected back when the Memphis Grizzlies play the Houston Rockets on Wednesday. Kenny and Carlin is presented by Progressive Insurance. Drivers who switch and save with Progressive save nearly $700 on average. Call or click today and find out if they could save you hundreds on your car insurance. Nick Saban, head coach of the Alabama Crimson Tide, been dealing with some off-the-field issues during this offseason. Alabama defensive back Tony Mitchell was arrested earlier this offseason because he was driving 141 miles before police were able to pull him over. This has been a big topic of conversation because elsewhere at the University of Alabama, Brandon Miller and the Alabama Crimson Tide basketball team, the overall number one seed in the men's bracket, a team that's headed to the Sweet 16. There is a murder investigation going on that alleges involvement from some in the Alabama program, a player, Darius Miles, who had been dismissed immediately after he was charged with capital murder back on January 15th, and the involvement of Brandon Miller and whether he brought, knowingly brought his teammate a gun. He was asked in a text message to bring his teammate Darius Darius Miles a gun. We don't know if Brand what Brandon Miller saw. We don't know, you know, how much of that was a calculated move. But that all comes to the forefront now because Alabama's playing in the NCAA tournament and because of the arrest in the Alabama football team happened recently. Now, Nick Saban had a press conference on Monday and had this to say about Tony Mitchell, the Alabama defensive back who was arrested and the circumstances surrounding his arrest. Tony Mitchell has been suspended from the team on all team activities until we gather more information about the situation and what his legal circumstance is. And, um, you know, I mean, guys, everybody's got an opportunity to make choices and decisions. There's no such thing in being at the wrong place at the wrong time. You got to be responsible for who you're with, who you're around and what you do, who you associate yourself with and, uh, the situations that you put yourself in. So, um, it is what it is, but uh, there is, you know, cause and effect when you make, you know, choices and decisions that uh, put you in bad situations. So Nick Saban takes the no bones about it approach here, Nick Ferdell, and the no such thing as the wrong as it being in the wrong place at the wrong time. That's a direct shot. The way that I see it at Nate Oates, the head coach of the Crimson Tide basketball team, because when asked initially after the bond hearing happened and we find out Brandon Miller's involvement, Nate Oates said that that was a byproduct of Miller, a kid who had never been in trouble, being in the, quote, wrong place at the wrong time. That's exactly my read on it as well. And it feels like Nick Saban watched all of the coverage and the aftermath of what Nate Oates went through and wanted to make a point of his own. And, Courtney, if you're Alabama, having already dealt with as a school what continues to happen with Brandon Miller, what continues to happen with that investigation, you have got to stay as as forthright as you possibly can when something else happens in the biggest moneymaker of all, your football program. So uh, as far as public relations go in saying what needs to be said in a moment, 
that felt like the only choice Nick Saban had to make. And whether it was him deciding to take uh, the perceived shot at Nate Oates or whether it was uh, the people within the university who are saying, hey, we got to come out really strong given what's just occurred, there is no denying that there is a reason why he chose those words to describe this situation in the aftermath of what happened with the basketball program. And he wasn't prompted. The question was, hey, was right. this a case of wrong place, wrong time? This is Nick Saban pulling those words on his own. And those words, you know, have a carry a certain weight with them because of what Nate Oates said and the incredible backlash that came out in the days and the hours after that comment, which he apologized for. I think this is a situation where Nick Saban says the Alabama football team is the moneymaker here. We are we reign king at the University of Alabama. Nothing is going to rain on our parade where you have the men's team, arguably the most successful men's team in, in, in you know university history. A very good team on the court, but a team that has a lot of controversy that's loaded into it. And if you're Nick Saban, you're an image-conscious person, you're a legacy-conscious person, you don't want something else to tarnish what you have built. And this was a way of him kind of pushing back on that and saying, you know, no, we still remember remember who runs things around here. The men's team and what this, the success that they've achieved, that's one thing. But they and their stuff that's happening off the court in, in, you know, players being involved in a murder investigation, that has no direct reflection on us. This is him taking control of the narrative again and him taking control of everything that's been going on around this university and its athletic programs. I mean, the most recent one with Tony Mitchell, this defensive back from Alabama who has been suspended. He was driving 141 miles an hour as he attempted to flee police in Florida last week before he was arrested. He and and a passenger in his vehicle were also charged with possession of marijuana with intent to sell and or deliver doesn't sound like there's much in that motive uh wrong place wrong time if there if you are being charged with intent to distribute uh drugs and so i understand where nick saban's coming from i wonder uh, what that conversation is going to be like though internally when nate oates gets to hear this press conference straight ahead back into the ncaa tournament talking to a coach who plays in the sweet 16 this coming weekend this is candy and carlin on espn radio Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. 
Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. Canty and Carlin, the podcast. Two days away from tip-off in the Sweet 16 in the men's bracket. Whole lot of upsets en route to getting the field that we have. Sweet 16 action coming your way here shortly. Candy and Carlin on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Courtney Cronin, Nick Friedel sitting in for the guys, as always, presented by Progressive Insurance. Let's talk now with one of the head coaches of a team that will be playing in the Sweet 16 this Thursday. It's the five-seed Miami Hurricanes, and he is Jim Laranega, the head coach of the Hurricanes, taking on at number one seed Houston in the Sweet 16. And, Coach, your team has proven not only this year, but in years past, especially last year, that they are built for March. And I wanted to figure out how you guys got here because when when you struggle offensively against a stout Drake defense, you find a way. When Indiana's raining threes in the round of 32, you find a way in the second half to stop them. What stood out to you about the way that your team has been able to continuously divert back to that path and find a way when things get tough? Yeah, I think it has to do with the quality of young men that uh, have come together and represent the University of Miami, our basketball program. And they started this last summer. We have uh, two transfer and two transfers and four freshmen. And quite frankly, they just bonded with the, the seven veterans we have returning. So between the, the returners and the new guys, they developed a good friendship off the court and a really good chemistry on the court. And we have quite a variety of, of skills. So we got Nigel Pack, who's a tremendous shooter. Uh, Isaiah Wong, who's just a tremendous one-on-one player and scorer. We've got uh, Norshad O'Meara, who's a tremendous rebounder. And we have Jordan Miller, who's great at everything. And then Woga Papa has really provided a spark with his ability to defend and also score. Jim, you mentioned Isaiah Wong. He continues to make so many big plays for you, especially down the stretch. What is it about him that makes his game so special? You know, I've said this so often about him. Since he was a freshman, he's never had a bad effort day or a bad attitude day. He gives you his best physical effort, and he he is so positive, such a great teammate. Now, he has days where maybe he doesn't score as much or, you know, defend quite as well, but it's never about effort and it's never about attitude, and he's done that for four years. That's why he continues to improve every aspect of his game. He's a tough defender. He's an excellent three-point shooter. Uh, he, he The other day he had eight rebounds. I mean, he's just a complete player and so much fun to be around for a young man that's as quiet as he is. He's not one of those vocal leaders. He's not loud or anything. He's just a, a, a player who leads by example. I'm going to work hard. I expect you to work hard. And seems, at least to the outside, like a very selfless player. We're talking with Jim Laranega, head coach of the Miami Hurricanes here on Canty and Carlin. I think back to that Indiana game, Jordan Miller was terrific and and certainly made the Indiana Hoosiers pay en route to getting you guys to the Sweet 16 with 19 points. But it felt like Wong and Pack were understood kind of their assignment and their role. How have you seen them sacrifice for the betterment of this group? 
you know, I think with Isaiah, a lot of it started last year playing with Charlie Moore and, and uh, Sam Mordenberg and Cam Augusti. Those were three great senior leaders for us who kept always emphasizing team, team. It's all about the team. And now Isaiah is the senior, and he's doing the same thing. And not only is he willing to, to share the ball and share the responsibility, but he's befriended Nigel Pack and really made Nigel feel so welcome. You know, when you ever you bring in a transfer, especially another guard into your program, there can be jealousy. And that that's never, ever been the case with us. Uh, Nigel and Zay get along extremely well with Bensley Joseph, Wooga Poplar, Harlan Beverly. All those guys who represent our backcourt, our guards, they do a tremendous job of playing off of each other and playing well together. Jim, as we look ahead now, you guys have Houston, a number one seed on Friday night. As you start to scout them and you look at that group and you see Marcus Sasser, what jumps out to you the most? Well, I, I will start with, with Shed, who's who's the, uh, the quarterback. He he is their leader with the ball, and he is so good at getting Marcus the, the ball in good situations. And Marcus Sasser is just a phenomenal shooter-scorer. I mean, he can shoot the three. He can put the ball on the ground. Uh, I had someone uh, compare him to Damian Lillard, and I think that's that's a very good comparison. He can really score, but... Shed is the one who gets him the ball in the right spots. Those big guys give him great screens, whether they're wide pins or ball screens or down screens. So he has to get a lot of attention wherever he goes from our defense Friday night. Miami headed back to the Sweet 16 in back-to-back years. Head coach of the Hurricanes, Jim Laranaga, joining us here on Canty and Carlin. I keep thinking about those gut check moments that you guys experienced in this tournament and certainly last year in the Elite Eight. What did you learn about your group in the way that they've been so resilient and able to rally? And how do you think that that helps you when you get to a stage of the game like the Sweet 16, knowing that you have the experience factor you can rely on, but also the fact that it's that will to win and finding any way to do it that your group has very clearly demonstrated they're capable of? Well, if I want to give credit, I give it to the ACC and the head coaches who run their programs. The competition in our league is so intense. The games are so close. I mean, we've played in so many games that are decided by the last shot. I mean, that's it. I mean, the guy either makes it or misses it. In fact, our last two, uh, a player from Florida State, uh, Matt Cleveland, made a desperation shot from three when we had a two-point lead. The, the next week, Pitt missed the, the three that would have won it. So we've been in so many close games, and I, we talk to our players all the time, my coaches and I, about you have to have poise. You can't get too emotional, too up, or too down. you got to play every possession right up until the final, final buzzer because you never know what's going to turn the game in your favor. And that's really what happened against Drake. They led by eight with four minutes to go, and our guys just rallied. Jordan Miller and Nigel Pack pulled the squad together, told them, hey, we don't want the season to end here. Let's get it done. Pick up the defense. Let's trap and force some turnovers. Let's share the ball and get some easy shots. And we went on a 16-1 to run. So 
it was a great ending, and I really think that positioned us with confidence to play against Indiana's outstanding team. Jim, you mentioned the poise that it takes to win, and you know full well what it takes, especially as an underdog, to move through a tournament. Having said that, there's no Kansas, there's no Kentucky, there's no Duke or, or UNC in the Sweet 16. What does that tell you about the overall health of college basketball right now, especially after the tournament expanded a few years ago? Well, I'm happy you asked me because I, I, I think there's so much parity in college basketball. We need to expand the NCAA tournament to another round. There needs to be 96 teams invited. You look at what, what uh, Fairleigh Dickinson did. You look at what FAU has done. I mean, th- these are teams that maybe nobody heard about uh, going into the tournament. Last year it was St. Peter's. The, the, the NCAA, we have 360 Division One teams and only uh, 68 make the dance. The, the whole mission is to uh, give the student-athlete a great experience. Well, there's no greater experience for a college basketball player than to compete in March Madness. And yet we only have 68 teams out of 363. That's 18%. Let's increase it. Let's go to 96. Let's have the, the uh, at-large teams battle each other in the first round, 32 teams against 32. That's 64 at-large. And then they go against the 32 uh, conference winners, the champions. You'll always have underdogs. You'll always have great games. There's just so much parity in the college game today. Jim, do you get the sense that other coaches in college basketball are also of that same mindset to expand the tournament to 96 teams? Yeah, college basketball coaches are all for it. It's the media that acts like uh, if we expand it, it'll water it down. You got to be kidding me. I mean, we're we're trying to, we want to expand it so that other schools that are very deserving because they had really good seasons, they get a chance to showcase that and maybe upset one of the, the higher seeds, one of the, the, the so-called blue buds. And, and you see it. You know, Purdue had an awesome season. They got a great team, a great coach, and, and great players. And yet they had a hard time with, with the FDU. What does that say, that, that FDU should have been ranked all season long? No. It means that there's so much parity and so many different styles of play, uh, so many players that play the game uniquely – you give them an opportunity on the biggest showcase in all of sports. I think March Madness is the best sporting event in the world. It lasts for three weeks, and there's excitement every week. There's games that just, just uh, defy explanation. And we're going to see it this weekend in Kansas City. It's going to be an exciting one. Number five seed Miami taking on the one seed Houston in the Sweet 16. He is Jim Laranaga, head coach of the Miami Hurricanes. They are partying down in Coral Gables right now. Both the men's and the women's teams headed to the second weekend of the NCAA tournament. Coach, appreciate the time. Thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure. All right, we're going to react to that talk of tournament expansion. It is certainly a hot topic that's always debated in March, but feels like we are closer to a decision on whether that would actually happen in the following years. But first, the college basketball season is in the home stretch, and that means the Wooden Wendy's Wooden Watch Award has begun. Go to ESPN.com and search Wooden Watch for a list of Wooden Award nominees to watch as soon as this season continues on with the Sweet 16. Brought to you by Wendy's 2 for 6 bucks. 
the best deal in fast food. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This is the Canty and Carlin podcast. Courtney Cronin, Nick Friedle, sitting in for the guys on this Tuesday afternoon, presented by Progressive Insurance. George Carl had some pretty strong words for Joel Embiid and his MVP campaign, calling him lazy with his body language saying he takes too many possessions off and that he doesn't know that the NBA like why he's in the mix for the NBA's prestigious MVP award some will look at that though and say that that's sour grapes some will say who cares it's the MVP award and Nick this is an award that we've talked about for a while and sometimes I don't know why we talk so much about the MVP award in the NBA. It feels, frankly, like this has been like maybe prisoner of the moment the last few years. Like I don't. To me, these comments from George Carl came very much out of left field. I don't know the history between those two. Maybe you can shed light on that. But it just doesn't feel like this is something that has too many tentacles to it, and it's kind of off base. It's off base, and it just feels like George wanted to get a hot take off, <laughs> Courtney. It really, I, I, I don't understand why you would say that unless you were just trying to draw attention to yourself and and what's going on. Okay, you know, I think the the much larger issue to me is I feel as somebody who covers the league on a daily basis that there is so much more focus on the MVP. And it concerns me as a basketball fan because I don't feel like there's a lot of interest in the games themselves. Day to day in an 82-game regular season, the NBA is well aware of this. It's why there's been so much talk in recent years about the midseason tournament. It, It doesn't feel like the players are that excited about it, but it's some way to drum up interest in the games. But as far as the MVP conversation goes... The reason why it has drawn so much more attention recently to me is because the general fan, unless you're a diehard of your team in your city or the one that you grew up cheering for or cheering for a specific player, they're not into the NBA the same way day to day they might have been 15 or 20 years ago. And I can only tell you personally, from my standpoint, it scares me not only about the short term for the league, but the long term as well. 
What would the harm be in talking about the games the way that we did five years ago, where the MVP conversation was not really in the mix? I remember the time that I was covering the Warriors during the 16-17 run, and at the tail end of the 15-16 season, there were individual milestones, which you know you could throw the MVP in that mix as well. That the you know especially with the Warriors that we were talking about with Curry going for back to back, but we talked about the team more in totality, and maybe that's just because. The stars were younger back then. LeBron was with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Kobe was still playing at the end of his, uh, you know, his long NBA career. The Golden State Warriors were in the midst of winning championships. And maybe is it because we just don't have that one head and shoulders above everybody else NBA team right now, that conversations about the MVP where we are debating whether it's Jokic, whether it's Joel Embiid. And, you know, if George Carl says he doesn't like Joel Embiid, you've got Rick Carlisle backing Joel Embiid. And it just doesn't feel like, I mean, there's no real place for those sorts of conversation. We try to force them into the mix and force space for them. Frankly, it just feels like we're trying to fill time when there are more important pressing things to be talked about in the NBA. Courtney, the point about teams specifically is very valid because when you look at what's happened, people love to hate the Miami Heat and LeBron and Wade and Bosh. Over time, they grew to hate the, the Golden State Warriors because they had so much success and they were so dominant. And then they added Kevin Durant. There is not that one team right now that everybody hates, and I don't think that is a good thing for the league and why the MVP conversation has risen to the level that it has. So we need some villains. Calling all villains out there in the NBA. Come and go. Come and form a team so we can actually focus on that instead of these arbitrary conversations about the MVP award. Straight ahead, should the NCAA expand the tournament? We get into Jim Laranaga's comments next here on Candy and Carlin, ESPN Radio, and the ESPN. Thanks for listening to the Canty and Carlin podcast. You can listen to the show live weekdays from 3 to 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio. Plus, you can listen on the ESPN app. Canty and Carlin, the podcast.